That's a great song, and uh, some of y'all did good with that. I mean, that was the first time y'all had heard it. That's an original piece of New Covenant Church, thanks to the Kernos back here, and uh, so appreciate them uh, putting all that together for us. Um, trying to see who who's here. You know, some of y'all weren't here when I was making announcements, so I'm trying to figure out what you missed. Uh, by the way, the middle school announcements, only middle school girls. Guys, don't show up to that pool party. That's just girls. Uh, sorry, you don't get the fun that they do, but uh, uh, I want to make you aware of that. Um, we've been looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, trying to deal with the intent that God has for us there. And I'm staying with that verse this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. Or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. The NIV says, no hint, not even a hint of immorality, impurity, or greed should be named among us. We're not to be a people of God that are on the edge of sin, that are playing with sin. It shouldn't even be named, shouldn't even be a hint of it uh, in us, around us. We need to be working diligently to shun all appearances of being immoral, impure, greedy, or covetous uh, that's being um, exhorted here. Uh, Last week, uh, I was watching, and you can can watch a number of shows. I'm not picking on this particular one because I'm going to watch it again. But anyway, uh, I was watching an episode of America's Got Talent. And it's just really starting to bother me more and more and more um, watching what's happening there and happening other places as well. On this particular episode that, that, uh, that I was watching last week, and I don't remember which one it is because I tape them and play them back, you know, so I don't have to see the commercials. But in this one, they were celebrating, and by celebrating, you know, when you get down to the final... 10 or 15 or 20, however many they've got now, they always try to come up with a backstory. So they, they're telling the backstory of these people's lives when they're good. Say, so you're good, what's your story? And they're always trying to share those stories. So that's what I mean by celebrating. They were celebrating their story. They were celebrating the story of a transgender comedian, of a homosexual singer, of a very covetous uh, contortionist, um, and other immoral folks. And as that was being celebrated, and celebrated in the sense of they, they tell those stories that they are sexually different. And so they wouldn't call it immoral. Because they are sexually different, they have been mistreated, bullied, abused, and you can just hear the sigh by millions of Americans. Oh, I'm so sorry, you know, and you know, just applaud them when, when they come forth. Now, what bothers me is not that we love them. We should love immoral folks. We should appreciate and enjoy their God-given talents. We should be sad when they are mistreated and abused. 
But, and this is a big but, or however, we should not celebrate their sin as if it doesn't matter. If there's no, or as if there's no consequence to immorality. The scripture makes it clear much of the abuse and hardships and things they deal with are consequences. Not all of it, but some of it is consequences to sin and immorality. And we should not um, get caught up or squeezed into the way of the world thinking that the immorality doesn't matter. Uh, in Ephesians, it says, no hint of it should even be named among us it goes on, and I've, I've, we've looked at this before, but I remind you again, Ephesians 5, verse uh, 10, um, 11, 12 says, Trying to learn what's pleasing to the Lord, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it's disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. So there's a sense in which I'm obeying this verse, and I need to expose this to you so that you don't, go into these shows and these experiences without thinking. But there's a sense in which it needs to be exposed, and we shouldn't even be talking about it. Why? Because it's so immoral. It's so shameful. We're living in a context that's applauding and encouraging the very thing God doesn't want a hint of named among us. That there should be a clear distinction between you and me, believers of Christ, and those who are not. And another passage I've shared with you before, I'll remind you again. Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5, beginning at verse 20. And I just want you to, 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 to really think through the fact that there will be plenty of people who says, Yeah, the sexual differences, they're good for me. They may not be good for you, but they're good for me. And we need to see, no, you don't understand. It's not good at all. It's not good at all. That's what our culture doesn't get. That's what our culture misses. God says this, Isaiah 5, one of the judgments came upon the people of God in the Old Testament. We should have gotten this by now. Isaiah 5, verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good. Look, this is immoral. It's sinful. Don't call it good for me. Good for you. It's not good at all. Woe to those who call evil good. And good evil. Who substitute darkness for light. And light for darkness. Who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. And clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men and mixing strong drink, who just justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. Therefore, as a tongue of fire consumes stubble and dry grass collapses in the flame, so their root will become like rot and their blossom blow away as dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despise the word of the Holy One of Israel. That's what's going on in our society. They've rejected God's standard. They've rejected the law of the Lord. They're saying, it's good for me. It's, good. it's a consistent with my standard. Uh, and we need to see there's a difference. And those differences matter. 
And we need to see it's not something to play with because it has eternal consequences. In Ephesians 5, remember verse 5 and 6 says, For this you know with certainty. Don't, don't let Satan deceive you on this. You already know this with certainty. No immoral or impure person or covetous man. Remember, those are the three things we had in verse 3. No hint of uh, immorality, impurity, or greed, covetousness. It says, know this for certain. No immoral, impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So you're going to be, you're going to be tricked. You're going to be, there's, Satan is scheming. I hope you know some of the schemes of the devil. This is one of them. To deceive you on immorality. God says, you know this. This is certain. You're not going to get to heaven and find people who are not washed and cleansed from all immorality in the blood of Christ. The immoral, impure, covetous person does not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who inherit the kingdom of God, those who go to heaven, are those who turn from their sin, their immorality, washed in the blood of Christ, and live in obedience to God's law. So it has eternal consequence. It's heaven and hell is at stake here. Um, and we've been talking about the sexual impurities and immoralities living in this world that we're in, in the same list is greed, covetousness. And that's what I want to move to today. It's interesting how greed, covetousness, is put in the list, how closely it's associated with sexual immorality. One really leads to the other. And I want us to think about uh, this sin as well, uh, and none of it should be named among us. This is one of those things, guys. I don't, I don't even want a hint of greed or covetousness in the church. In, in Luke chapter 12, I'm going to turn there. Luke chapter 12, a man comes to Jesus, and Jesus really hits him with this, this subject. Uh, Luke 12, beginning at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Then he said to him, Beware, and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And so this man speaks out in the crowd, Jesus, apparently you got a lot of authority. How about use that authority and tell my brother what to do, and what he needs to do is he needs to... He needs, we need to divide the, the inheritance, and I need to get something. And Jesus says, you know, I am not the authority on that for you right now. I said, wait, wait, wait. The problem here is greed. You need to beware of the fact. You need to be warned. You are a greedy person. That's a big problem. And so he presents to them a parable. Beginning at verse 16. He told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. 
And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. I've often thought uh, about going into the storage house business because we are a greedy society. We want, like this guy, to, to have more room for more stuff constantly. I don't know if that's a good business or not, but I know it's in the heart of man to have more and more and more. And God says to this man who built the bigger barn and stored up more stuff, says, what a fool you are. How would you like for God to call you that? I mean, that's kind of like the end, isn't it? Fool. For God to say it. Why? Because you're dying tonight. You got the storage room full, but you're dying. And when you die, you're going to hell. You've spent your life thinking heaven was on earth, so you stored up things to, to enjoy retirement, to enjoy life on earth, but you're going to hell. That is so foolish. Can't you get that? This, this lifestyle of greed did not work well for you. We need to, to hear Christ's words and see what we could do. You know, People say, oh, I'm not being greedy, I'm just being a consumer. It's extreme consumerism. Some people I've heard call it extreme couponing or whatever, how to get more and more. The problem is not really the stuff. The problem is not really the amount of stuff. The problem is our desire for stuff. It's our love of stuff. The problem is always the problem of the heart. It hits at Exodus 20, verse 17, the 10th commandment. Let me refresh your memory. If uh, uh, I'm sure most of you, you've got the 10 commandments memorized, but uh, Exodus 20, verse 17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Greed is, is coveting something that's not yours. Somebody else has it. You want it too. And so really it's a desire to have something that God hasn't designed for you. That God hasn't provided for you. That's, that's the problem of the heart. God, you gave it to my neighbor. Why not give it to me? I want it too. And so you... you you covet. You, you want it. The problem is, is not so much with wealth. It's, 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 it's that desire to want more than God has allowed. There's plenty of wealthy Christians. So don't make the problem wealth. The problem is not wealth. The problem is not stuff. Adam and Eve, they were extremely wealthy. They had the whole world. God provided it for them. Um, so we start with wealthy believers. Um, some of the key leaders in Scripture, Job, the book of Job. Job was extremely wealthy, and there's no, more, no one on the earth at his time more righteous than him. 
Job had land and cattle and a huge family and everything that goes with it. And he was a righteous man. You can have a lot of stuff and be righteous. Uh, Je- uh, uh, Abraham, again, very rich, able to divide, you know, huge wealth with Lot and still increase and amass much, much more. Uh, plenty of people, kings like David or Solomon, extremely wealthy in many ways. So you have wealthy Christians. You also have poor Christians. Uh, those who, Jeremiah, locked up most of his ministry, didn't have anything. Um, the Apostle Paul, there were times he was wealthy, there were times he didn't even have clothes. They stripped him and stoned him and, and left him with nothing. Or poor fishermen like Peter. Uh, so they're poor Christians that are leaders. There are wealthy Christians that are leaders in Scripture. The, the issue here is not the stuff. The issue here is not the amount of money. It's the desire for more than what God has given or designed. So look with me, two key passages you, you need under your belt. 1 Timothy 6.10 and then Hebrews 13.5. 1 Timothy 6.10. It says, for the love of money. So you circled the love of money. That's the problem. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Some, by longing for what? For things, for stuff. Those is who have loved, they have this love for it, this desire for it. It's the love that's the problem. Now look over at Hebrews 13, verse 5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. It doesn't say make sure you're, you don't have too much stuff or don't have too much money. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. It brings up the whole issue of contentment. Um, we, we, we have to acquire things. We have to have food. We have to have clothing. We have to have some shelter. There's nothing wrong with acquiring things. God has given us a desire to acquire things. Because we need things. So the question is not, should I just quit with things? No, no, no. We need things. We must acquire things. Greed is wanting things beyond what God desires for us, has designed for us. He may have designed us to be a wealthy man or, or a poor man. We have to, to discern that and make sure we're not desiring, we're, we're not in love with more than what God has designed. Let me give you an example. Look at Jeremiah 2, verse 13. Verse 13. God says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. My people have two problems. First problem is they forsake me. 
basically, there's, why, how are we forsaking God? God says, I'm the provider. So they forsake that I will provide. And they go say, I'm going to provide for myself. I'm going to go get some stuff. And I'm going to store my stuff. Because God's not doing it for me. God says two evils. First is, you reject me. And the second is, you think you can do it yourself. The problem here is, primarily you've rejected God as the designer of life, the designer of your life, the one who's given you a specific calling, the one who's given you specific gifts, the one who's designed your male-female structure that has abilities. You've rejected the one who's done all that, the potter who makes the clay and fashions you for purpose. So you reject that and you determine, I'm going to do my own thing. And to do my own thing obviously means i got to get stuff. And I go get that stuff and I put it where I want it. And God says, the whole system is broken. You're just going to lose, lose, lose. It's like putting water into a cracked pot. It's going to seep out constantly. And so you spend your life trying to acquire, and you never quite get enough. And you just keep cultivating this desire. I need more. I need more. I just can't quite make it. I can't fill it up. And God says, that's greed. And it started the day you walked out on me. The day you turned and said, I'm going to do it myself. Um, Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. This is why Jesus says this. Matthew 6, verse 24, you've heard. It says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one, love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Can't do it. If you go to this life, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after my own wealth, my own stuff, then you've ceased serving God. You cease being submissive to God and say, God, whatever you designed, if you designed me to be a rich man, I will be one. If you designed me to be a poor man, I will be one. I'm gonna, I want to do it your way. See, it's completely different. You can't do it both. So you can't serve God and then turn around and serve wealth. You've got to choose. The greedy person is always a person who is not serving God, which is why God says, that should not be a name among you. It's impossible for a Christian to be full of greed and covetousness. Which is why when that, that man came to Jesus and said, I, you know, I want, I want, I want, I want, God, Jesus said, wait, your problem is your heart. You've you got a greed problem. You, you're about to go to hell is what Jesus says. He tells them a parable. You've got a much more serious problem than you realize. You're not even a Christian. You're not a follower of God. Uh, so, you see, if, if there's greed in your heart, we, you can't leave that unchecked. You can't leave that unsolved. This is something we've got to deal with. It's something we must fight against. And, we, and we've got to, to get it out. It, this is just as serious as the immorality that we've been talking about. It reminded me uh, of, of, of King David. Let, let's look at that. Um, I know I didn't give it to you for those of you using the Vision app. It's not there, so you've got to look it up. Second uh, Samuel, Second Samuel, chapter twelve. I think the Covenant kids are on this this morning as well. Um, 
later in the day. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and he said, There were two men in one city, and the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds. Now stop right there and realize what's going on. King Nathan, is a prophet, is coming and he's talking to King David. King David is the rich man in the story. King David doesn't know that yet. But that's what's going on. The prophet is saying, can I tell you a little story? I want to tell you a story about a rich man and a poor man. And when we get to the end of the story, he's going to say, you know, you're the rich man. So understand that David was one of those people God designed to be rich. He has many flocks, many herds, many wives, many places to live and stay and rest. He has everything he possibly could want. This is, this is how the story unfolds. The rich man had great, verse 2, had great many flocks and herds. The poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and he nourished, and he grew up together with him and his children. He would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. For he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Now, <coughs> what just happened? Theft. The rich man committed in the immoral act of stealing. The rich man had plenty of his own lambs. But he's chosen, instead of using his own lambs to, to prepare a meal, he goes to this man who only has one lamb, and he steals it. He takes it. And notice where that takes it. So, so he, he, he's greedy. He's covetous. He's got a lot of stuff. But his problem is his heart. He wants one more. And so he goes to the poor man and steals what the poor man has. Verse 5. David's anger burned greatly against him. Because, you know, when you talk about this, you say, well, that, that's, that's just wrong. Well, David gets that. His, his anger burned against the man in the story. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man, the rich man, who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution. Now, to die is just hyperbole. I mean, this is, this is horrendous. He goes immediately, says, restitution. And according to the law, you should give back four times as much. <clears throat> well, that's where he's going here. Verse 6, he must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. Nathan then said to David, uh, excuse me, David, you're the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel. It is I who delivered you. So start getting the feeling here. God says, I designed you, David. I made you rich. I gave you stuff. I thought you were serving me. When you quit serving me, you went over here and started serving stuff. That's when we got to this problem. Uh, Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, it was I who anointed you king over Israel. It was I who delivered you and the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. Now catch this next phrase, underline it, circle it, highlight it. This is huge. And if that 
had been too little. Wow. I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You struck down Uriah, that's murder. With the sword, you've taken his wife, that was adultery, to be your wife. And you've killed him with the sword, the sons of Ammon. Think about what's happening here. Because of the greed in David's heart of wanting to keep his stuff that God gave him. He goes out and steals some more stuff. Just a little lamb in the story. And God says, I mean, when you think about the, the sins that have been committed here, you know the story. First of all, he broke the fourth commandment to work six days and rest on the seventh. He's not working when he's supposed to be working. So he's broken the fourth commandment. He's broken the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. And he murders Uriah. He's broken the seventh commandment, not to commit adultery. He has adultery, commits adultery with Bathsheba. And he breaks the tenth commandment, not to covet. Or he breaks the eighth commandment, not to steal. Breaks the tenth commandment, not to covet. And what seems to tick God off the most is this whole coveting thing. These other commands are huge. The fourth commandment, the sixth commandment, the seventh commandment, the eighth commandment. I mean, these are huge, but God says, you want stuff? Really? If, if I had given you too little, I would have gladly given you more. Why do you crave stuff? I'm your provider. I, I give you stuff all the time. And if I have given you too little, I will gladly give you more. But when you reject me for stuff, I get ticked. To the third and fourth generation, he punished David for this. Greed is a huge sin that leads to so much immorality. Because of his desire for stuff, he commits the breach of the fourth commandment and the sixth commandment and the seventh commandment and the eighth commandment. Which is why most theologians say, you break the tenth commandment, you break them all. I mean, it's, it just catches them all. That's why greed is in the list. So I hope you begin to feel, whoa, this is serious. It is. It's huge. It's such an offense against our provider that we must see I, I, I gotta fix this any hint I mean, we all have to admit right we, we have a hint of greed and covetousness we all want things we have to acquire things but have we really brought God into the equation every time we purchase something and say God is this your design is this what you plan to provide? You're my provider, and I'm a steward, so I need to, to use the resources you've given me to purchase this, correct or not? Because I want to be submissive to you. I don't want to do it just because I want stuff. I want to do it because you provide these things for me. And we need to always be having 
that conversation, that kind of consciousness in our heart and mind as we go about our daily routine, or we're living with greed and covetousness um, and missing, living under the lordship and divine uh, plan of God. So how do we develop this godly consciousness? That's, that's what I want to help you with. You know, the, the solution is not to live the life of a monk or a nun. It's not to, to say, oh, well, okay, I, I guess I'm, the takeaway is I need to live with less and own less. No, 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 that's not the takeaway. I'm not saying you have to give up your stuff. God's not saying you have to give up your stuff. God is saying, make sure your stuff is God's stuff for you. That He designed it. He delights in it. It's His provision. Um, it's, it's more about desire. It's more about des- design. Uh, it's, it's, it's really uh, evaluating. Have you at any point abandoned contentment in God's ownership and leadership of you? Are you content with whose you are as a believer? Um, give me three ways to develop this godly consciousness concerning the stuff. Number one, trust the present provision. Look at 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. So wherever you are right now, trust the provision God's already given. 1 Timothy 6. For the love of money, well, let me go back, read verses 6 and following. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. So that's what we've got to have here, this contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, not going to take anything out. Verse 8, So if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. So whatever you've got right now, that's, that's your standard from starting today. Be content with it. Do you have food? As far as I know, everybody in here does. Do you have some sort of covering? I don't see any naked people in the room. Be content. That's enough, God says. So, but I, I need, you already, you already have enough. This, con- this concept, I, I need one more thing. God said, I've already provided, have I not? And you have enough. We, we need to trust that concept. Uh, it's, we get to see food and clothing is enough. Now, more is not evil. God is not against more. It's not evil. But you've got to trust that food and clothing, food and shelter, is enough. Or you won't proceed to fight the good fight of faith. That when you're tempted, like Satan did Adam and Eve, hey, how about one more fruit? And they need to say, no, enough. We've got what God's provided. That's enough. I don't need one more fruit. Unless God gives me one more fruit. God may give you a lot more. But it's always going back to God and say, God, your choice, not mine. I have enough. I have food. I have clothing. Um, begin there. You're not going to have that, the right frame of mind unless you say, you know, I already have enough. I don't need more. Second, trust God's powerful promise that He is really the provider. Look at Hebrews 13.5. We read this verse, but we didn't focus on the last phrase of it and the promise that's found there. Hebrews 13, 5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content 
with what you have, for he himself has said. So here's kind of the rationale. And he quotes, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. What's the promise there? I am with you, and I am for you. Trust that. Be content with what you have, because I am with you. I see it. I know your situation. And I am for you. I am not only with you. I'm not going to desert my job of being your protector and provider. I will give you what you need. Trust that. If God is for us, you know, what can come against us? We always, always, always have enough under Christ's leadership with his provision. He said, I am with you and I will never abandon my post. I will be your protector and provider. Trust God's provision. Trust the powerful promise that he will do what he says. And I'll give you a, a follow-up verse of that. I love this. Ephesians 3, verse 20. The description of God says, Now to him who is able to do what? Far more abundantly than you've ever thought or asked. Not only is God with you and for you, He is able to do far more abundantly more than you can even imagine to ask for. Could He possibly give you more? Yes. Could He possibly give you more than you've ever thought about? Yes. So it's not about ability. God, as Rob said, He's made everything. He has everything at His disposal. He can do more. Um... Trust that from God. Then number three, develop this um, mindset that the Philippians had. Trust the Philippian proclamation Paul uh, gave us. Philippians 4. Paul says, Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content. In whatever circumstance I am. Now, you would think he was in lack. He was in want right now because he's in prison when he's writing this letter. But Paul just makes it clear to the Philippians that, yeah, I'd like to have some things if y'all can get them here. But uh, he says, I'm not asking for anything that's outside God's will. I've learned to be content. Verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Um, it's Paul's testimony. He said, I've been wealthy, I've been poor. The secret is, is not more stuff. The secret is not less stuff. The secret is Christ is enough. The secret is God's provision is enough. God's lordship is enough. God's design is right and it's perfect. The secret is really valuing Christ more than you value stuff. This is, this is the book where Paul says, all the stuff in my life I consider to be like dung in view of knowing the surpassing value of knowing Christ. The surpassing value in life is Christ. To just know Him. So you can't serve God and stuff. 
your value must be God. It must be Christ. God, I love you. I surrender all to you. I submit the ledger to you. You tell me whether I need more. If you say so, I'll go for it and seek to be a good steward of it. But if you hold me back, let me be held back. I am content whether I have a lot or whether I have little. I am content to be yours. I am content to value you more than anything else. That's what Paul was proclaiming to the Philippians. That's what the Philippians got. That was their message. That's our message too. To really you know, evaluate this morning. Do you fall in love with things more than you fall in love with Jesus? Paul says, I choose to fall in love with Jesus. I value him. He's the surpassing value. And I want more of Jesus way before I want more things. Because I already have enough. I got food and clothing. But before I pursue something, I pursue loving Jesus first. That's the key to contentment. Uh, the secret is knowing Christ. That he is the one we believe in. He's the one who rewards us with so many good things. Hebrews eleven six. He's the one who is the surpassing value. Now, before I end with the subject of greed, just like the subject of stealing, back in Ephesians 4, verse 28, let me remind you of that. We, we spent some time on this, and hopefully you remember uh, all of my great illustrations. When, when, when is a thief not a thief? Remember I presented that to you in Ephesians 4, 28. When is a thief not a thief? And the answer is not, well, when he quit stealing. Mm-mm, he's still a thief. He's just a thief between jobs. When's a thief, not a thief. And it gives you the answer. Ephesians 4, verse 28. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather must labor. So a thief's not a thief, not only when he quits stealing, but when he starts working, he's still not over being a thief. He's got to do more. Well, rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that, this is the purpose, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. A thief is no longer a thief when he becomes a generous giver. Then transformation has taken place. He's no longer taking from people. He's giving to people. Same is true when is your greedy heart no longer a greedy heart. It's not when you you quit wanting stuff. Say, okay, I'm going to quit wanting stuff and I'm just going to be content in Christ. No. If you're content in Christ, you're ministering for Christ. You're a compassionate, generous person. But God, I'm going to quit wanting for me, and I'm going to start living for you. That's when the greed's gone, when when we become generous. Everything is held loosely. God, it's it's not my stuff, it's your stuff. You, You want me to share this stuff. You want me to give this stuff away. Then you know the greed is gone. Because, see, like King David, he had all this stuff, but he held it so tightly, he didn't want to let even one lamb go. And the greed was still there. We're not going to be free from the greed until we, we, we see this, this heart of, of love and compassion and generosity of giving to Christ, His kingdom, His causes, which is going to cause us to give to others more and more. Um, Hebrews 10, 32-34. What an example this is. Um, just noticed it the other day. I said, wow, this is, hadn't really thought about 
uh, the saints who were, were abused and taken away captive and in jail. And um, notice, notice this example of them. Hebrews 10, beginning at verse 32, says, Remember the former days um, when, when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. So this is talking about the church going through great persecution for the sake of Christ. And notice verse 34. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners. So you were taken off to prison because you were a Christian. And then notice this next phrase. And accepted joyfully. This is what I missed. Accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. You know you're not greedy when you can do that. Somebody comes to town and says, um, because of your service to God, we don't like that. That's so condemning. That's so anti-American. We're taking your stuff. And God says, and you let them take your stuff joyfully. They seized all of your property, and you just let it go. You got to prison, and you started ministering to other prisoners. Why? He says, knowing that you have for yourself a better possession and a lasting one. Wow. He says, you let it go because you didn't lose anything. Because you know your provider who has promised to give you what eye has not seen, what ear has not heard, what you've never asked for, far abundantly beyond what you can even imagine. And so you let them treat you that way, you die, you go to heaven, and you're rewarded. Believe he is the one who rewards his people. And this is huge. God notices it. And he encourages us to be those who don't have a hint of loving stuff more than we love God. We're content with God, his leadership, his provision for us. Well, that's it, but let me just say this. Um, it's so easy to focus on stuff in our society. Please, 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 please don't condemn people who have more stuff than you. Okay? You don't know why they have that stuff. God makes some people to be extremely rich in this world. In this church, we have people who have a lot of wealth. A lot of stuff. And then we have other people who don't have hardly anything. In the same church, in the first century, you had a rich tax collector named Matthew. You had um, a rich physician named Luke. You had a poor fisherman like Peter. Or a poor missionary like Paul. In the same church. You don't see them condemning one another. Well, you got a lot of stuff you need to give to me. No. Or you don't have a lot of stuff. I want your lifestyle. They, they each understood God's design for them. There's no way I can read your heart or you can read mine. Let's, don't be those who, who try to be God and condemn others. Let's learn to be content with the station God has given us. 
whether it's rich, whether it's poor, or whether it's somewhere in between, that's potentially where God wants us to live and do ministry. And we need everybody on the spectrum. God did not design us all to be the same. So I don't want you you going out condemning. I don't want you going out to be falsely guilty of something God has designed. So think through all of this and think through your love for Christ as your provider um, in all things. Let me just pray, then we'll go to communion. Uh, Lord Jesus, <coughs> we're, we're on this uh, continuum of life at different places. But the application is the same for us all. That we cannot serve God and the stuff in this world. Lord, may we hold everything loosely and may we hold you tightly. May you be the love of our lives, the surpassing value we treasure, that we will gladly, joyfully give up all for. Let us live to minister with generosity for our Savior, for our Lord, and remove all covetousness, all greed from us. May it not even be talked about or named among us. May we be so free from this world that we're free to love and follow and serve Christ alone. For we ask all these things, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.